welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Amen. Amen. Truly our hearts adore Jesus. Truly our hearts adore Jesus. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, it's an honor to come before you again to uh, just offer this word that the Lord has. Um, and I'm just so grateful. Long for the day that we can all be together. We were looking, you know we all felt some disappointment last week, but we, uh, we know that Lord, our Lord is sovereign and he's in control. And really that's what our message is about today. So let's just get to it. How about that? We'll just do that. If you could turn in your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Samuel. The Old Testament book of First Samuel, chapter 4, and we'll be reading uh, verses 2 through 4. First Samuel, chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Just feel free to read along, feel free to read along with me. I'll just go ahead and read the, uh, the passage for your hearing. Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle. And camped at Ebenezer while the Philistines camped at Aphek. The Philistines lined up in battle formation against Israel. And as the battle intensified, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who struck down about 4,000 men on the battlefield. When the troops returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord defeat us today before the Philistines? Let's bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh. Then it will go with us and save us from our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh to bring back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Uh, If you just uh, labor with me today for just a few moments, uh, our subject is, what do you do when God wills your defeat? What do you do when God wills your defeat. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we just, uh, well, I'm just excited today for this word. I love uh, just how intricate your word is. Uh, Lord, you, uh, you even got a sense of humor in this passage, Lord. You just show us who you are so boldly. Uh, we just thank you, Lord, for loving us and saving us. I pray, Lord, you would just move me out of the way and uh, speak to your people. I know, Lord, your word is true, that it doesn't go out and come back void. So I pray, Lord, it will provoke, it will convict, and most importantly, it will drive us to confess before you and accept you as our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. I, uh, I'm a big fan of sports movies. Rocky is probably one of my um, uh, favorite franchises of movies. There's, I don't even, too many of them need to count, right? The, uh, the third one, though, Rocky III, that was the first one I saw. And uh, it's kind of one of my favorites. I'm a fan of Mr. T, so I like that one. Uh, basically, Rocky, if you're not familiar with that one, if you haven't seen it in a while, Rocky Balboa now, he's an established champ. He's uh, defending his title a few times, got some endorsement deals. He's balling in the main line. He's got a big house, uh, living well. And he's stable. He's satisfied. He's comfortable. Well, this uh, number one contender coming up is Clubber Lang. And this guy's anything but comfortable, right? He's hungry. In fact, he's starving. He wants this title. 
And uh, Rocky goes into this fight. He's going to be his last fight. He's training kind of routinely. Clubber's training like his life defends on it. And when the fight comes, I mean, uh, he beats the brakes off Rocky. He knocks him out. Not only is Rocky wiped out, his trainer dies, has a heart attack. He's so stressed out with the fight. And now Rocky's left wondering, like, man, what's my life? What's my legacy? Um, and in true Rocky fashion, right, if you know the franchise, uh, Apollo Creed comes in. He introduces him to what's called the Eye of the Tiger. Rocky trains. They got some mad training sequences, some good music, and they come up. He beats, uh, he beats down Clubber Lang and, and all as well. Well, in the same way, when we look at this passage of Scripture today, we see the children of Israel kind of going into battle once again. But uh, this, this isn't the Rocky movie. There's no Eye of the Tiger to deal with. We're kind of dealing with Yahweh here, right? The Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Yeah. Um, and in this passage, Yahweh, the Lord of Armies, has willed the defeat of his chosen people. Uh, the question is, why did he do that? And then what can they do about it? So let's look at the text. If we go to 1 Samuel chapter 4, it begins with the children of Israel camped at Ebenezer, preparing to go to battle against the Philistines camped at Aphek. Well, it's, uh, it's interesting that that, uh, that section there of uh, the, the place, just a geographic note, I like to get into the geographic notes. The, uh, the place Aphek uh, is a place about 22 miles north of the city of Shiloh. Shiloh is sort of the capital at the time. That's where the temple is, where the Ark of the Covenant is held, where the, the priest Eli, who's a judge over Israel at this time, resides. That's where that is. We don't know exactly the location of Ebenezer, but the name is significant because Ebenezer, if we break down the root of Ebenezer, it actually means the stone of help. Eben means stone and Ezer, which comes from the root, root word um, Ebenezer, which comes from the root word Ezer, which means helper. That's the same Ezer we see in Genesis chapter 2 where God says that uh, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper, an Ezer, suitable for him. It's ironic that the people of God were at a place named the stone of help but they got no help from God. You ever been in a place where you expect to get some help from God, but didn't seem like he showed up, right? You, uh, you got yourself set up, you prepared like you normally did, you're ready to go, but this time nothing works. Nothing went right. Well, that's where the Israelites were in this battle. There's no clear reason for the battle. We never know who the aggressor was, but uh, actually, frankly, it doesn't matter who the aggressor was because that's not the point of this battle. God had another purpose. He had another purpose for this fight. In fact, he willed the defeat before it even began. Uh, and, and, the, and to see why, I just ask you to turn back to chapter 2 with me. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to put some context on this. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10. This is Hannah's prayer. Hannah's uh, the, the prophet Samuel's mother. And her prayer is, those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to his kings. He will lift up the horns of his anointed. Go ahead and skip down to verse 27. I'll read 27 through 30. A man of God came to Eli. Remember I said Eli is the prophet. He's a judge over Israel at this time. A man came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Didn't I reveal myself to your forefather's family when they were in Egypt? And belong to Pharaoh's palace. Out of all the tribes of Israel, I chose your house to be my priest. 
to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your forefathers' family all the Israelite food offerings. Why then do all of you despise my sacrifices and offerings that I require at the place of worship? You have honored your sons more than me by making yourselves fat with the best part of all the offerings of my people Israel. Therefore, this is the declaration of the Lord, the God of Israel. I did say that your family and your forefather's family would walk before me forever, but now this is the Lord's declaration, no longer. For those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disgraced. That's why context is so important when we study scripture, right? This isn't a routine battle between God's chosen people and one of their enemies. It's clear from these earlier passages that this battle is about God showing Eli, showing the Israelites, and showing the Philistines. Since this is a canon of scripture, he's showing us his character and his power. The people's hearts were far from God. He willed their defeat to teach the lesson that if you oppose him, he will oppose you. That he will honor those that honor him and those who despise him will be disgraced. Which leads me to my first point. When God has willed your defeat, you need to recognize your spiritual crisis. When God wills your defeat, you need to recognize your spiritual crisis. You know, make no mistake, the children of Israel, God's chosen people, were definitely centered in a spiritual crisis. They were toxic spiritually from the priest Eli on down. Eli, who's a direct descendant of Aaron, the brother of Moses is, uh, is judge over Israel. Like I said, he's got two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. There's no doubt he was intimately familiar with the rules, with the conduct, with his priestly duties. Yet chapter 2 of uh, 1 Samuel, verse 12, 13a says, Eli's sons were wicked men. They didn't respect the Lord or the priest's share of the sacrifices from the people. Eli's crisis is primarily a failure to lead. And it had potentially fatal consequences for all those under his leadership. You see, the priest is responsible for preparing the sin, guilt, and fellowship offerings when they were brought to the temple. They basically lived and worked at the temple. The breast and thigh portions, according to Leviticus 7, were to be set aside for the priest. But that wasn't enough for Eli and his family, or actually it wasn't enough for his sons. Uh, they actually would go out and, and, uh, and get food from the people that they desired, even the Lord's portion first. Eli's sons, Phinehas and Hophni, they didn't care about the Lord and they didn't care about his sacrificed offering, his sacred offerings. They literally stole from God and got fat. The best part of all the offerings of the people in verse, uh, you see in verse 29, as the priest, it was Eli's responsibility to instruct them, but he dishonored God by not holding them accountable. Despite his inaction, he did have a few words for him, though. If we look at verse 25, it says, if one person sins against another, God can intercede for him. But if a person sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Well, Eli said that. I mean, there's no truer words said by Eli, but that's all he had was words, right? That's all he has for words when his sons were continuing to store from people. That's all he had from words when they had sex outside the temple and basically disgraced God's temple like it was a Canaanite uh, uh, temple. But God had more than words because that same verse ends with, but they would not listen to their father since the Lord intended to kill them. The Lord gave Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas ample opportunity to turn around, but they didn't. And he gave them the death penalty. 
What a word for all of us that are parents today. Don't be so afraid of being a bad guy that you give your, your children the death penalty. Uh, the old folks used to say, a hard head makes a soft behind. The Bible instructs us to raise our children in the training and instruction of the Lord. We have to hold ourselves and our children accountable to God's word. Don't be a public success and a private failure. Don't, don't have a great profile in church, on social media, at work, and then at home you're absent or abusive. But it wasn't just the leaders that were far from God in Israel. The people's hearts were also in crisis. They polluted their worship with Yahweh, with false gods they adopted from, their, from the other people in the culture around them. Like Eli's sons, they engaged in sexual, uh, sexual sin, sharing in the fertility rituals at the Canaanite temples, which is basically a chapel and a brothel in one convenient location. They intermarried with the Canaanites against God's clear instruction, going all the way back to Deuteronomy 7. And they showed up to battle without the ark of the Lord of armies. I said they left the ark of the Lord of armies sitting in the temple at Shiloh when they formed up to battle. How do we, like the people of Israel, go into battle but leave God behind? We know God's a healer, but do we invite him into our sickness? We know God's a peacemaker, but do we invite him into our conflict? We know God is wisdom, but do we invite him into our decisions? How about God's provision, his power to provide? We know he's a provider. We say he has a cattle on a thousand hills, but do we invite him into our finances? We know God is a deliverer, but do we invite him into our temptation? We know God is a comforter, but where is he when we're in grief? We know the Lord is a restorer, but do we invite him into our humiliating failures and defeats? What battles do you try to fight and leave God in Shiloh? While it's clear the Israelites were in crisis and they had hardened hearts, I also don't want to give the impression that every time we struggle, every time we go, something, go through something, it's because we have a hardened heart. Just looking at God's word, he confirms that if, we, if you look at, it, at, the, uh, at the apostle Paul, and he was dealing with a thorn in his flesh. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, he may will our or sorry, God may will our defeat in a certain situation to show the power of his grace like he did Paul. In James chapter 1, he said, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So although defeat doesn't indicate that we are far from God, we need to be able to recognize if our sin has us in crisis. So how do we do that? Here's some questions that we can ask ourselves. Are we calloused and disobedient, just like Eli's sons continuing in sin with no fear of the power of retribution of God? Do we have a lack of regard for God's word? We don't read God's word to get closer to him, to have his character revealed to us. We're just checking it off like a devotional day by day. Or we try to equip ourselves to fight against someone with our own motives in mind, right? Lack of worship and service. There's so many ways that we can use excuses now with the pandemic to not worship and serve God like we should. Blaming others and refusing to take responsibility for our own faults. We gossip and sow discord among the brothers and sisters. We lack care and compassion for those that we lead. But that doesn't lead followers off the hook either, right? You disrespect your leaders in your life. You refuse to receive rebuke 
and correction from others. Sometimes we're highly critical and judgmental of others. And the more judgmental you are, usually the harder your heart is. Unbiblical response to conflict. God's not through with me yet. That sounds pretty. It's a great excuse, right? But he should be working on you, right? And you should be surrendered to accept the work that he's doing. Bitterness, wrath, and unforgiveness. If I didn't come down your street with that, cherish these words. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself. Or do yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test. So if God has willed our defeat and after our spiritual inventory, we determine that we are in spiritual crisis, what do we do? Well, that takes us to the next point. We need to remember that God is not a lucky charm. Um, probably haven't heard lucky charm in a while. That used to be an old commercial back in the day, lucky charm with the little, yeah. But that's, uh, if, if you go to verse three and four, Verse 3 says, when the troops returned to the camp, the elders, and I'm in, I'm in chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. When the troops returned to the camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord defeat us today before the Philistines? Let's bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh. Then it will go with us and save us from our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh to bring back the ark of the covenant of the Lord of armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Eli's two sons, Ophni and Phinehas, I told you about who they are, right? They're the ones that are guarding the covenant. Well, that speaks a lot about where the heart of the people was in this situation, doesn't it? The, the elders were shocked and confused, right? They go off to battle. They get 4,000 guys wiped out and uh, were humiliated and sent back to this base camp. So can you imagine these guys sitting at a base camp now trying to figure out what went wrong? They're debriefing this battle like, man, what did we do? Why did, it, why did it go wrong? As crazy as they were, they did know that it wasn't the Philistines that beat them. It was the sovereignty of God because they said, why did the Lord defeat us today? Sadly, though, they were that close and they missed it. So, I mean, the, uh, the, as disobedient as they were, they, they recognized that defeat. But when they missed it, they missed the sovereignty of God. They missed the fact that God was trying to teach them something. What is God trying to teach us? Sometimes our haters aren't the ones that get in our way, but it's actually the power of God that's doing it, right? Sometimes we feel stuck. It's not that you're stuck. It's God has his, 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 he's standing on your foot. He's not letting you move. Even if it hurts, God will do whatever it takes to conform you to the image of his son. He may frustrate our dreams. He can delay our goals or cause us to lose some battles, but ultimately God wants us to be holy, sanctified, and obedient. You know, and that's the deceiving thing about having a hardened heart toward God. It just kind of obstructs our vision. Uh, you know, I, I've, I'm thankful that I've had a fairly good vision for, for all of my life. I praise God for that. I did take it for granted, though, until I turned 40. And any of you have hit that 40 landmark, you may be able to relate. But uh, I was awakened to the fact that my vision wasn't the same anymore when I was trying to read a, uh, a medicine bottle, I think, at the house. And uh, I just thought they had, I was like, these, they keep making this stuff smaller. Why can't I read this thing? And I'm mad. Like, and my wife is like standing next to me. She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, look at this. They can't even, it's too small. It's like, she just read it like it was normal. I'm like, oh, okay, well. And I go to the doctor and they're like, I'm, I'm raising my hand for everything. I want to do the LASIK surgery. Give me some glasses, contacts, whatever you can do. I need to fix this. And she says, sorry, you just can't fix it. Your lens is just old. And I was like, oh, okay. And so uh, essentially what happens as you get older, your lenses just get hardened. They don't focus like they should. And the only solution is, is this. 
the CVS 2.0. That's where I'm at right now, praise God. And I'm praying I don't, I don't have to go to 2.5 anytime too soon. But I put on a 2.0s and everything just cleared up. I can see, and now I carry them with me everywhere, right? But um, that's really a picture of, of what's going on here with sin. Many times sin will harden the lens, right? That we see. So we can still see, but it obscures our vision. And we need the Holy Spirit to come in with the 2.0 to, so we can see what we need to see. In the same way here, the elders, they had some blurred vision, right? They couldn't see exactly. They got part of it. They understood the ark. They saw the ark was the Lord of armies. But they saw the ark in the temple, but they missed the glory of God that stood over the mercy seat. They can remember, somebody told them a story about the ark and how it, it led the children of Israel around the, the wilderness, right, on the way to the promised land, but they missed that cloud of, of the presence during the day that led them and the pillar of fire by night. Somebody told them about Joshua when he crossed over the Jordan. Yeah, the ark led, but they missed the power of God that stopped the water so they could cross on dry land. Somebody told them about the ark, and they said, wow, yeah, the ark was there at the Battle of Jericho. Yeah, the ark marched around once a day for six days, and then it did that seven-time march on the last day, but it was the presence of God that took it down like a 2,000-pound bomb, right, and gave them the city. The, uh, the, 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 the point about the obstruction, how sin obstructs our vision is, if we miss seeing God, if we make a pattern of miss, to miss seeing God, it causes us not to miss God and the presence of God. I'll just say that again. If we get comfortable with mit, to miss seeing God, then we, can, we have to be cautioned that we don't get to a place where we don't miss the presence of God. The elders' focus was so obscured by sin, they didn't miss the presence of God. They just grabbed for the ark. They wanted to bring something in that would be a good luck charm that would fix it. But God said, no, you, want, you, you don't want the ark. You want me. And so when they brought the ark in, because of their heart crisis, the Lord allowed them to fail once again. We don't have that passage. If you continue reading, you see they brought the ark in, and they failed even worse. Not only did they fail even worse, but the ark was captured. Not only did they fail even worse, but Eli and his sons had the, ex had the death penalty executed upon them at that time. So the Lord moved in a way that they failed. He willed their defeat, but he did it for a reason. The, the reason he did it is you can't reward bad behavior. We don't do that as parents, coaches, teachers. We never want to reward bad behavior. And God knew that if he had allowed them to just grab for the ark and win this battle, it would reinforce their stinking thinking that they already had. Hebrew 12 reminds us that he disciplines those he loves and he punishes every son he receives. God will not be manipulated. He won't be forced or controlled. God's not a genie in a bottle that we get three wishes from or we can twist his arm and make him do what we want him to do. But the elders and the people, that's where they were. That's what they thought. Their, their, their reaction to the ark showing up, they were so excited, they actually intimidated the Philistines. In fact, if you look at verse 8 and 9 of chapter 4, the Philistines were saying, woe to us who will rescue us from these magnificent gods. The Philistines actually saw God, God Yahweh, the God that delivered them from all these places as a God on par with all of the gods they had at the time. These are the gods that slaughtered the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. So show some courage and be men, Philistines. 
Otherwise, you'll serve the Hebrews just as they served you. Now be men and fight. They got a they got a glimpse. The Philistines got a glimpse of the victories that the Israels that the Israelites had achieved, but they still didn't know who the right God was that did it. And God was about to show them because they took they took the ark. They took the ark, but they they quickly wanted to give it back. They they showed courage in this fight. They captured them. They did the things they wanted to do. And when that ark showed up, I, I don't have time to run through the seven-month progression that it went through. But suffice it to say, everywhere that ark showed up, the Lord showed up in his presence. He broke their idols. He gave them tumors. They were overrun with mice. It got to the place where they won this ark in a battle, but they gave the ark back with a guilt offering. I said they won the battle, they won the ark in a battle, but they gave it back in a guilt with a guilt offering. They made up some gold mice and gold tumors and gave it back, said, please take this ark back. So when they when they gave the ark back, sadly, the Israelites still hadn't grown to the place they needed to be because when they received it, and if you continue to read in that, they received it, they still didn't understand the power of God because they tried to inspect it in a way that was against the instruction of scripture. And the Lord had to take 70 of them out then. He took 70 out then just for being disobedient. And that's the lesson for us today. You know, I think one of the, the uh, bumper stickers I see a lot is, is uh, that coexist. I don't know if you guys have seen that. It's got like a mix of all the logos or images from the religions of the time said we should co coexist. And I think, you know, as much as it depends on us, we should dwell together in unity. We should, we should work together. We should have peace and, and operate peacefully. But uh, I, I've got an objection with throwing the cross of Jesus Christ that represents the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us in with all these other gods, right? Because basically what that's doing, and, and that's exactly what was going on here. The Philistines were throwing God in with all these gods. The Israelites were throwing God with all, with all these gods. And essentially God was trying to show them, and he's showing us, that he was supreme. So we may not be forming up for a physical battle against the Philistines, but like the elders in chapter 3, we too can let sin cloud our vision. Don't grab them like a rabbit's foot or a lucky sock when things get difficult. Don't just want to win. That's the Israelites, the, the, the elders' problem here is they just wanted to win. They wanted to win at all costs. Uh, an example of that, really, if we go back to Joshua, when they, they, uh, they took over, uh, if, you, if, you, if you study the, the story of Joshua, they fought the battle of Jericho, overwhelming victory. But the Lord warned them before they went in, hey, don't take anything. The Lord had a plan for that, but he said, don't take a thing. And so they go in and they win the victory. It's an amazing victory. And then the next chapter, if you read, they had this battle of a small eye, right? This small little area. And they, they send out some scouts again because they've gotten good at scouting. They send some scouts out and they say, hey, we could take these guys. They come back and tell Joshua, hey, we got this, boss. We don't even need the whole force. We'll just send some special forces troops in. We'll take care of this. And they go in and they get the, beats, uh, the brakes beaten off of them. And they come back like, why? But their response is much different than the Israelites here. Joshua is laying prostrate before the Lord. He's throwing sackcloth and ashes on. He's trying to get back in relationship with God. And God shows him that, hey, I appreciate that effort, but there's some things you got to check in your troops because somebody took some stuff. And so they go in and find it out. So it's important for us to be more like Joshua where we pursue God. We think about, man, this didn't work. Why didn't it work? As opposed to like the elders is in this case and just grabbing a symbol of God. Not only do we have to recognize our spiritual crisis, 
Not only do we have to remember God is not our lucky charm, but the last thing we need to do is we need to repent of our sins. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the culmination of this, we talked about in verse 4, is where the battle started. It goes from there to the ark being captured, and it goes on a journey to, verse, to chapter 7. So when we go to chapter 7, we see a new, a new picture of who the Israelites are. If we go to chapter 7, verse 2, we find time went by until 20 years had passed since the ark had been taken to kirith Jerem. Then the whole house of Israel longed for the Lord. Samuel told them, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, get rid of the foreign gods and the asterisks that are among you. Set your hearts on the Lord and worship him. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites removed the Baals and the asterisks and only worshiped the Lord. You know, it took 20 years, but they finally got it. It took 20 years before the whole house of Israel longed for the Lord and they were ready to return. It took 20 years, 20 years for them to long for his presence, 20 years for them to hear from his prophet. Because they never consulted a prophet during this time either, right? It says the elders got together. They never wanted to hear what the Lord had to say. And it took 20 years for, the, for God to return. The encouraging thing about chapter 7 is that even though it took that long, and God willed their defeat. It was only temporary. In fact, all they needed to do was turn around. Samuel said, get rid of your idols and asterisks. Set your hearts on the Lord and worship him only and he will rescue you. Repenting is more than just remorse or, or having sorrow over our wrong. You know, you can be uh, powerfully upset about the things that we do and continue in sin. Repentance is about turning away, giving our whole heart back to God. And that's what Samuel's instruction was here. I love, uh, uh, and, and actually the response, God's response is always to receive. I love Psalms 103.12. It says, as far as from the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That's a beautiful picture how close our deliverance in Christ is. You know, if you travel around the world, if, if you were able to travel around the world going east, you would never go west unless you turned around. That's a beautiful picture of, of where God is with us. If we travel around, if we turn around, if we repent, he's right there. That shows that he's always following us. He's lovingly encouraging us to turn to him. And then once we do turn around, our sin is never with us again unless we turn back to it. Because all we see is God. We're a new creature now in Christ. After 20 years, God not only received the Israelites, but when the Philistines marched on them at Mizpah, he delivered them. So now here they are. They've, they've uh, decided to repent and come back to God. And the uh, Philistines see them starting to mount up. And they're like, oh, okay, it's on again. Let's go. And so they mount up. And the Israelites are actually afraid at this time. But they just continue on. They, give, they, 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 they press in. They tell Samuel, look, we're afraid. you got to pray for us. Samuel makes the appropriate sacrifices. And here's how the Lord responds the Lord, the Lord shows up after Samuel took a stone and said, I'm sorry, I'm going too far. After, after Samuel gave his sacrifices, after Samuel prayed and interceded for the people, the Lord confused. It says, uh, and I went too far. For the first time, they wanted God. They wanted God and not the things they could get from God. 
And if you read the scripture, it says that he confused the Philistines and he won the battle for them. So they were looking for a victory back in verse three and four, but they wanted to do it themselves. When they surrendered to God, God gave them the victory. He confused the enemy. So it was a quick defeat. The Lord made a made quick work of the Philistines, the same Philistines that had humiliated them twice before. Well, the Lord made quick work of them back here in chapter seven. And the reason he did was because they repented and they turned to God. And then afterwards, it says Samuel took a stone and he set it upright between Mizpah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer, explaining the Lord has helped us to this point. Isn't that powerful that Ebenezer now, the stone of help, was really a stone of help? The Lord has showed up for him when they surrendered and when they repented and came back to him. Even when God wills our defeat, victory is only a matter of turning around to win the victory. So what do we need to turn around from today? What are our idols and asterisks? What are the affections of our hearts? What do we or who do we worship? Get rid of them today and worship God with your whole heart. But repentance isn't just vertical with God. It's also with our fellow men. James 5, 16 says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Don't wait 20 years like the Israelites did to turn around, turn around right now. Uh, I love this passage of scripture uh, because it's such a great example of what to do when God wills our defeat, but actually God never wanted us to be defeated. He created us in his image and he has always desired a relationship with us. In the garden when sin entered the world, because we serve a holy God and and, and the penalty of sin is death, We had to be defeated, but even then, he began to work a plan to give us victory and give us victory through himself. That one act of disobedience resulted in all mankind losing, but but praise God, we serve a God who wants us to win. Now Now his power and presence isn't in a cloud. It's not in a pillar of fire. It's not in an ark. But for those, who are, those of us who are in Christ, it's in us. We're living epistles. We're the temples of Jesus Christ. And we always have to remind ourselves that even when we lose, we've already won. The solution is still the same. The hope is still the same. The good news is still the same. Set your hearts on the Lord and worship him only. Then he will rescue you from whatever is trying to defeat you. We don't fight for victory. You've heard that many times. We fight from victory. So keep preaching the victorious gospel to yourself. But now in Christ Jesus, you are far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. That's victory. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. That's our victory. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's victory. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's victory. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope and the glory of God. That's victory. 
No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's victory. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast, unmovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love because our final victory is on its way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is the humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And finally, Jesus said, look, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That's our victory. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you today for victory. We thank you, Lord, that though you may will our defeat, when we oppose you, Lord, we know, Lord, you honor those who honor you and you will disgrace those who despise you. We know, Lord, that in spite of that, Lord, that you desire us to just turn around so you can give us the victory. We thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for loving us, for keeping us, for protecting us. And most importantly, Lord, for giving us an avenue to get back to you. Lord, you reconciled our relationship all through your grace. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. We pray, Lord, this word will sit with us today and provoke us to change. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, as we celebrate God's, God's gift through his son, Jesus Christ, uh, we want to move into uh, a period of worship through the holy sacrament of communion. So if you could take your uh, breath with me now. The Bible says that on the night before Jesus was betrayed, he took his disciples to the upper room and he took the bread and he broke it and blessed it. And he said, this is my body. This bread represents my body. Eat in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. And then the word says he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Let us drink together. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we again thank you for your son. We thank you just for the opportunity to uh, follow your word where you said as often as you do it. We thank you, Lord, for uh, just giving us a chance to remember and celebrate your life, death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And we, Lord, we know what you stand as, as, uh, as supreme. Lord, you rose from the grave with all power in heaven and earth in your hands. So we thank you, Lord. We pray, Lord, you would just bless us and keep us. That you would make your face shine upon us and be gracious unto us. That you would lift up your countenance upon us and give us peace. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, 
particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you.